might expect, Trapp reminded the soldiers, only a quarter of whom were members of the Nazi party, that Jews were the enemies of Germany. Then he announced that if any of the older men did not feel up to participating in the operation, they could refrain. There was a pause, and a soldier stepped forward. About a dozen more followed. It is an arresting moment, a brief but pregnant exchange that upends the notion that the rank-and-file soldiers who took part in the massacre had no alternative but to participate. They did not join the firing squads because they had to. They joined because they chose to, which raises the question of what ultimately drove them to kill. Browning traces the answer to the fear of standing apart from the group. Not taking part in the operation meant leaving the dirty work to one's comrades and being seen as casting negative judgment on one's nation and peers, something most of the soldiers in the battalion were loath to do, particularly for the sake of people who were, after all, Jews. But there is another equally compelling question that has gone comparatively ignored. Namely, why a few ordinary men considered Major Trapp's offer and turned in their guns. Why, even in situations of seemingly total conformity, there are always some people who refuse to go along. This is a book about such nonconformists, about the mystery of what impels people to do something risky and transgressive when thrust into a morally compromising situation. Stop. Say no. Resist. The extreme circumstances that prevailed among the German soldiers tasked with hunting down and murdering Jews in villages such as Yosefov during World War II are, fortunately, something most of us can only imagine being caught up in. Yet there is a reason our imaginations are often drawn to such scenarios. Why few of us have failed to wonder at some point whether the impulse to refuse would have gripped us if we'd stood in the shoes of ordinary Germans back then, and, if so, whether we would have had the nerve to act on it. Wondering this is not, in fact, a purely speculative exercise, owing to an unresolved tension that runs through most societies, and for that matter most people's minds. We've all arrived at junctures where our deepest principles collide with the loyalties we harbor, and the duties we are expected to fulfill, and wrestled with how far to go to keep our consciences clean. As far as necessary to be true to ourselves, a voice inside our heads tells us. But there are other voices that warn against turning on our community, embarrassing our superiors, or endangering our careers and reputations, maybe even our lives and the lives of our family members. In Hollywood films and the sanctimonious tributes that have grown increasingly common in recent decades, individuals who stand by their convictions at such moments are invariably depicted as heroes. Trees are planted for them at places like the Yad Vashem Memorial Museum in Jerusalem. Politicians salute them for reminding us of our moral duty to confront evil in all its forms. As George W. Bush stated upon awarding the U.S. Medal of Freedom in 2005 to Paul Rusa Sabagina, the hotel manager who risked his life to shelter Tutsis during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, and whose story served as the basis of the movie starring Don Cheadle, Hotel Rwanda. After a century of horrors fueled by obedience and conformity, 
Who could argue with this? Surely one of the lessons the civilized world learned from the cataclysms of the modern era is that averting one's eyes from blatant wrongdoing is untenable. Yet confronting evil tends to be seen differently when it is being committed in our name. When the perpetrators are not Germans or Rwandans, but Americans carrying out abuses at places such as the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. A story that came to light after a reservist named Joseph Darby handed a CD full of incriminating photos to the U.S. Army's Criminal Investigation Division in 2004, one year before President Bush honored Paul Rusis Abagina. Darby's reward was to be called a traitor and to receive a string of death threats that prompted him to move out of his hometown. The speed with which people like Darby are ostracized even in democratic societies shows how much easier it is to admire such nonconformists from a distance.